Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. All of it is summed up in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the end of the wilderness wanderings now, Deuteronomy chapter 8. The place of the word, the wilderness, the place of testing, the place of perfecting, the place where everything is stripped away, the midbar, the divine purpose where God wants to show you that he can be everything to you spiritually, emotionally, physically, and otherwise. He says these words, Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply, Deuteronomy 8.1, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Did God want to really know what was in their heart? Well, you could say that's human language to describe the situation, but I think the wilderness reveals my heart to me more than God needing to know my heart in the wilderness. The wilderness often shows me what I'm made of. And sometimes, just to be perfectly candid, it's not pretty what I see in me. I realize how spoiled I can be. You know, many of you know I went on a missions trip some years back to Nepal and I was on the streets of Calcutta, and I was in India, and I saw utter poverty. And you come back to the United States, and you look at everybody, and you know, you've had a spiritual experience there. So you look at everybody, and you're selfish, terrible, clocks in the fast food places, and sheesh, you guys. And it doesn't take but about a week, and you're right back there where you were before. But you say to yourself in India, I'll never be that way again. You start making proclamations and... And it doesn't take long, you're right back in the saddle where you want everything at your beck and call. You don't realize how many blessings that you have. He humbled you. He let you be hungry, verse 3, Deuteronomy 8. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What's interesting is that when Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan, one of the temptations after he's been fasting is the devil says, if you're the son of God or since you're the son of God, back to Mark. Actually, go to Hosea for a second. Hosea. So uh, you're going to pass up Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Go to chapter 10. Here's the point. They just didn't get it. They just didn't understand the blessing that was there, how quickly we forget, how quickly we forget the deliverance that God has brought us. And, and, you know, some of you have been Christians for decades, and we can get in this mode where we just don't remember all that God has led us out of. This is uh, Hosea 10. Look at verse 12. God says, sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up your fallow ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your way, in your numerous warriors. Therefore, a tumult will arise among your people. 
and all your fortresses will be destroyed and Shalman destroyed as Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle, when mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it will be done to you at Bethel because of your great wickedness. At dawn, the king of Israel will be completely cut off. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This is applied to Jesus in Matthew 2, 15. The more they, the more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love. And it became to them, I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bent down and fed them. Now, if you go uh, one more passage in Hosea chapter 13. Hosea 13, look at verse 1. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He exalted himself in Israel, but through Baal he did wrong and died. And now, Hosea 13, 2, they sin more and more, make for themselves molten images, idols skillfully made from their silver, all of them the work of a craftsman. They say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore, they will be like the morning cloud, like dew which soon disappears, like chaff which is blown away from the threshing floor, and like smoke from a chimney. Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, says the Lord, they forgot me. Back to Mark. This is always a danger for the people of God. This is a danger for America. This morning, I was listening to Dr. Uh, J. Vernon McGee. I would imagine that the sermon that was aired this morning was from about 30 years ago. He was talking about a time of testing coming to this country. I looked at my wife and I said, do you know that he's probably preaching that message about 30 years ago? She went, really? I said, really? I said, if J. Vernon McGee was saying that about the U.S. 30 years ago, how prepared do you think we need to be now? How prepared is the church in America for a wilderness experience? How prepared am I for a wilderness experience? I think you all realize what's happening on the landscape around us right now. And here comes the prophet, and the prophet comes baptizing. And he's saying to people, get ready. Jesus is coming. It's time to break up the fallowed ground. It's time to find an oasis in the desert. And when Jesus speaks of John, he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothes are in king's palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who's more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And it was in the wilderness, if you check Luke 3, verses 1 through 3, that the word of God came to John. And John had a mission. His dress was like almost in defiance to the religious leaders of the day. And he began to preach. He appeared, Mark 1, 4, in the wilderness. The Greek word for wilderness, wilderness is eramos, 
It speaks of a lonely place. It can also speak of abandonment or a person who's been forsaken. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel like you're in a personal wilderness. Well, God can meet you there. And John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Matthew 3, 1 and 2, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance means do a U-turn. Repentance means you're going the wrong way. Start, turn around and go the opposite direction. I like to come to the end of every year and look back and reflect upon a year. This is our last Sunday service for 2015, and God has done mighty miracles in our midst. But I like to look back at a year and ask myself some personal questions like, has my walk with Jesus Christ progressed? I heard Marv Rosenthal one time say, uh, uh, another teacher, he said, look, I, I like to come to the end of every year, December 31st, and look back and say, I'm not the man that I want to be yet but I'm certainly not the man that I used to be. And if you can come to the end of every year, you know you're making progress if you can say those words. Look, none of us have arrived. We all realize that. But hopefully you're not who you used to be and hopefully you have a plan for 2016 to run this race with endurance and draw close to the Lord. Some of you have post-Christmas celebration depression right now. Part of that is all the sweets that you ate over the holidays. (laughs) Do you notice how I said you ate them? I didn't eat any of them. No, you guys brought them all to the church office. And of course, I was forced to partake in all of these sweets. I know they were given in love. You didn't make me reach into the caramel corn. I did that to myself. I understand that. Now I'm in the wilderness. I'm just kidding. Anyway, (laughs) in all the country of Judea, Notice the response to John, Mark 1, 5, was going out to him, all the people of Jerusalem. Notice it says all twice, all Judea in the south, all Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Some scholars I have read say estimates are that about 300,000 people came to John at the Jordan River. 300,000 people. Can you imagine baptizing 300,000 people? Well, people were confessing their sins. I don't know if this came of their own accord, but I know John was a radical preacher and he wanted to make sure people knew what they were doing. Maybe he he would say to them, why are you being baptized right now? I'm sorry, John. (laughs) What do you need to confess? And people were confessing their sins, their shortcomings in the wilderness and they were going into the waters of baptism. By the way, to my knowledge, the, the only people that were regularly baptized were Gentile converts who were converting into Judaism. It was very irregular for Jewish people to be baptized. There were some ceremonial washings, but other than that, the ones who got baptized were Gentiles becoming Jewish. Now, John is doing something very radical, very unique. He's baptizing Jewish people. So the Pharisees came out, right? And who knows what their motive was, but they were checking him out. And John just looked up at them. He had read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because he said to them, you brood of vipers, <laughs> who warned you to flee from the wrath of, to come? The axe is already at the root. Here's a way to translate that. The axe is at the tree and you're about to go down, baby. You better repent. I told you, he read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He didn't care. He said, look, I'm warning you. You better repent or you're going to get cut down. 
He's going to come with his winnowing fork, Luke 3.17, and he's going to burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Woo! Yeah. Preach it, John. Yeah. Tell him. It's Mike Massaro, and you're listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. And we'll get back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. But I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available. It's Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's about spiritual warfare, how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The special offer is, if you go to livingtruthradio.org, that's livingtruthradio.org, and click on the Donate button, for any donation, we'll send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you tell us in the contact form that you'd like the book. Now, back to Pastor Michael. And people were coming and getting baptized one after the other, confessing their sins. Lord, I've done wrong. Lord, I'm sorry. And this picture of the wilderness emerges. And God has been silent for about 400 years. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets, scholars like to say. He prepares the way of the Lord. He's telling them, get ready, because something radical is going to happen. Something that you can't even imagine. He's coming. And John prepares the way, and he's, the picture is he's getting all the rough places out. He's smoothing the edges. His baptism was preparatory. This is important for theology. John's baptism was external, but it was a heart preparation. It was to get people ready to meet the Messiah. Could they have known he was right on the landscape? Could they have known he was about to walk up to the Jordan River and be baptized by John the Baptist? See, John... Verse 6, was clothed with camel's hair. Not a very comfortable garment, by the way. Maybe a coarse garment for a coarse message. He wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet consisted of that new cereal. You've all heard of it. It's uh, called locust and wild honey cereal. Have you ever tried that before? So he'd grab a locust. My grandfather used to do this. My Italian grandpa used to grab snails off of our back wall. He would boil them and eat them. If you put spaghetti sauce on anything, it'll taste pretty good. He said, it's a good, it's a good. So, so he'd have a locust. You, know. you guys have watched some of those wilderness shows. But he'd, he'd go over to the beehive and probably dip the head of the locust in the beehive. Yeah. That's John's diet, man. You see, the whole wilderness picture is emerging, isn't it? John's in the wilderness calling Israel back to the place where they failed, saying to them, there's hope. There's one coming. He is glorious. He is mighty. He was preaching, saying, seven, after me, one is coming. He's mightier than I. I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. Uh, When you were in a rabbi relationship as a disciple, they said, you could really make your disciple do just about anything, but don't make him untie the thong of your sandals. Not even the lowest slave, you know, should really be, at least not even a disciple should be doing that. Lowest, low, lowly slaves did do that. And he says, look, I can't even untie his shoes, this one that is coming. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to saturate your life with the Spirit. He's the distributor of life. He distributes the power of the Holy Spirit. The element that he uses is not water. He baptizes with the power of the Spirit. And it came about in this poignant moment in those days that Jesus 
came from Nazareth in Galilee. Everybody else was coming from Judea and Jerusalem. The focal point now from the north, he comes and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now there are other gospel writers that say that when Jesus came, John said to him, you want me to baptize you? I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, let this be done that we may fulfill all righteousness. I'm gonna give you a, a word picture. This is something that struck me. And here's what it would be like. Imagine that I was up here preaching and I noticed that Jesus snuck into the back of the sanctuary. And let's say I preached a whole message and I was preaching about confession and repentance and getting right with God and I gave an altar call. And I looked and Jesus Christ began to come to the front of the church to respond to my altar call. And let's say that I told people that when you come forward, I'm gonna walk down from this platform and I'm gonna meet you down here and I'm gonna pray for you so that you can get your life right. And imagine that I walked to the front and I looked at Jesus in the eyes. What would I say to Jesus if he responded to my altar call? I would say, I need to respond to your altar call. And you come to me, that's what happened at the Jordan. And the question that you must ask is why? Why did he come to John? He said that we might fulfill all righteousness, but there's something deeper. And here's the picture. Track with me. This is so important. The reason that Jesus comes to the Jordan to be baptized by John is that he is identifying with all of us. He is now going to correct the mistakes that were made in the wilderness. He's coming as the true Israelite, the true son, the one who will redeem. And he's coming forward to say, I'm going to do what they failed to do. And he's going he's to be treated on the cross like he committed all of our sins. And at the Jordan, he's coming forward for baptism as though he needed it, though he did not. You understand? This is the theology that's going on here. This is the wilderness picture. This is the place of the word. This is where the Holy One that was pained by Israel in the desert now comes to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. This is the gospel. And John is flabbergasted. He doesn't even know how to quite make sense of all of this, but he's gonna obey. And he baptized him. And immediately, verse 10, coming up out of the water, he, Jesus, saw the heavens opening and John tells us in, his, uh, in John's gospel that uh, John the Baptist saw this as well. He saw the heavens opening. If you have an NIV, it says, heaven being torn open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. I would venture to say that that didn't happen when anybody else was being baptized. But when Jesus went into the water, and Luke tells us he was praying during this time of baptism, that he, when he came up out of the water, the heavens opened, and this is picturesque of Isaiah 64, 1, when it says, oh, that you would part the heavens and come down, O Lord. Many uh, Bible teachers have said Isaiah 64, 1 is pictured here, but it's also a picture of a desire for revival. Oh, Lord, that you would part the heavens and come down. Do you ever just pray that way? You ever look at our world and just say, oh, Lord, that you would just part the heavens and come down, and you know what God says in response to that? I have, and I'm going to do it again. Amen? Amen. He's coming again. And the current heavens and earth will roll away like a scroll. He's coming again. 
And now John has this moment and heaven, the father, is declaring that Jesus is his beloved son. I think every dad, whether you have sons or daughters, you should say it in front of people. You are my beloved child. I'm proud of you. That's a sub-application point. But here the Father gives testimony, and at the Jordan River is the three members of the Trinity, the Father speaking from heaven, the Spirit descending like a dove, Jesus, the incarnated Son. By the way, Jesus is not throwing his voice, thou art my beloved Son, and he's not being a ventriloquist. I did not want to do that irreverently, but I'm trying to make the point. Here's the point. This is the three Distinct members of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Think of it this way. One being, three centers of consciousness. One being, three personas, not persons, personas. Latin means personalities. Three distinct persons here at his baptism, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Spirit descends upon him like a dove. It became a an image used by the church, some rabbis used to say that the dove even represented Israel as a community. And God, uh, but the, the picture here is definitely that of a dove. And God, the spirit, descends upon God, the son, as a dove. And this institutes now the beginning of his ministry. If you needed to know who the Messiah is, you just got it. Prophets foretold it. Jewish genealogy foretold it. Heaven planned it. Angels sang. We, we've been looking at Christmas. And now, just in case you missed it, the heavens open, and he says, that's my son. That's the Messiah. Listen to him. Do what he says. And he's empowered right here now by the Holy Spirit, and this begins his three, three-and-a-half-year public ministry. The descent of the Spirit may bring a memory of Genesis 1-2 when the Spirit is hovering over the waters at creation. Uh, it may speak of, in, in other ways, there's some different takes on it, but here's the, the point. The power of God's Spirit is upon him, and he has now gone to preach good tidings to the poor, set captives free. He went about doing good. We'll sum it up here, and we'll come back to these verses in the next message. And immediately, now Mark's gospel is fast-moving, not a lot of details given, but notice the connection. Immediately, Mark 1.12, the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels, incredibly, were ministering to him. He had come to represent the perfect Israelite. He had come for the whole world. He came into the place where Israel failed because when Israel was in the desert, the devil got the upper hand. The devil tried to say to them, do you see what he doesn't give you out here? Oh yeah, you've been set free from Egypt, but you don't have steak anymore. Remember how you used to, you used to grill it with green peppers and onions? You remember? Leeks, you had them? Now you don't have them anymore. And sometimes as a believer, you go, yeah, yeah, that's right. I, yeah, I was in slavery, but, but <laughs> you see how silly it sounds? And the devil whispers in our ear, think of what you don't have anymore. And we begin to grumble and complain. And God says, uh, do you remember where you were when you were by the pots of meat? 
you're doing a mud dance for the Pharaoh. You're building his pyramids for him. And you're crying out to me, set me free, Lord. But then when you got out in the desert, you didn't like the way things went all the time. I got news for you. I'm God, you're not. Maybe that's where we need to park for a while, right? I'm God, let me do what I'm going to do. And so they wandered in the wilderness, and they wandered, and they complained. And that generation, sadly, and this is detailed in Hebrews chapter 3, was laid low in the desert for one reason. This is the final point. One word. You know what the word is? Unbelief. They simply wouldn't believe. And you know, when you boil down the Christian life, as much as we could talk about theology and you know, aspects of walking in the Spirit, your whole Christian life is going to depend on how much you're willing to trust in God. That's it. It's a walk by faith, not by sight. And that's hard we see Jesus coming towards him in the wilderness here to be baptized. I'm sure a lot of people are confused by that. What exactly is baptism? You know, the wilderness tradition um, mentioned four times in verses 4 through 13 is that word wilderness. And so you think about, well, what is Jesus doing in the wilderness in, in terms of he's going to go out and be tempted in the wilderness? And why does he get baptized? Um, one reason is that he gets baptized to fulfill all righteousness. But you have to think about, and that's from his very mouth, let this be done, John, that we might fulfill all righteousness, is what does he mean by that? What does he mean to fulfill all righteousness? And we, we get a little bit of a clue, Oscar, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount. I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus Christ, in his uh, life, ministry, death, and resurrection, is retracing the fallen footsteps of Israel, the wilderness wanderings where they failed, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and one of those components is his baptism, that he might fulfill all righteousness. In other words, he might do what Israel failed to do. They were baptized in the cloud and in the sea into Moses, but they failed. Uh, God opened the way, but they 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 failed. Jesus succeeds where they failed. And uh, the, the main theme there is that he always does those things that please the Father, which they did not do, and we don't do either. Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry. But one of the things that we're trying to do is help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth to walk by faith and not by sight. A great name change. We're going to have a new site. We're excited about this new, call it a new branding for the ministry. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.